Hey, this is John Legadakis of johnlegadakis.com and I want to thank you for joining me on this podcast. This podcast is a live recording of an interview I do each week with other internet marketers, personal development and business leaders where we talk about how we can better promote our products and services online, get more traffic and make more sales. I hope you get a lot out of today's recording. Hello and welcome to the podcast, everyone. It's great to have you here. Thank you so very much for joining us. Today's special guest is Joe Valley from the US. Thank you so very much for joining us, Joe. Glad to be here. Now, let me tell you a bit about Joe Valley. Joe Valley of Quiet Light Breakridge. Um, now, before Joe joined Quiet Light Breakridge, he was the founder of a digestive wellness company that boasted more than 100,000 subscribers, a $250,000 a year PPC budget, and a potent direct marketing strategy. Joe came to Quiet Light Breakerage to help him sell his business and later joined and as, as an advisor. And since that time, Joe has become one of the most prolific advisors in the industry. So we're so grateful to have you with us, Joe, and to learn from you all about building an online business and selling online businesses, buying online businesses. But before we do that, I always like to begin by getting to know our guests personally. So who is Joe Valley? So Joe, who were you growing? Where did you grow up? What was family life like for you, influences and so forth? Sure, sure, sure. Um, you're talking to me in, in Mooresville, North Carolina right now. It's actually a relatively warm climate, uh, but I moved here from Maine where I grew up. Uh, I moved here in 2006 with my wife and two kids who are 13 and 15 now. I'm, uh, I'm an old guy. I'm, I'm 51 years old and I've been self-employed for about 20 years now. Um, I left a company I was working for in 1997 to go work for myself. Started a direct response uh, media buying agency focusing on radio. Launched a product a year later with a marketing company. Did a couple of radio uh, products took them both to TV infomercials. Both TV infomercials failed miserably, but I did well in radio. The last product, I got tired of all the staff, took 100% online in 2005 and built an e-commerce business that I sold through Quiet Light in 2010. Yeah. Been, with, been, quiet, been with Quiet Light since, it was late 2010 that I sold it and been with Quiet Light since uh, early 2012. So it's been about five years since I've been with Quiet Light. It's been a great experience. Closed about $35 million in transactions since then, and, and we're going strong. It's good business. Yeah, excellent. Well, you look great for a 51-year-old. I'll say that immediately. <laughs> um, uh, so self-employment obviously does, works well for you. Um, so you look. You, you say you started around, around the 30 years old. You became self-employed. What were you doing before... You became self-employed, and why? Why did you decide to become self-employed? I worked for a, a direct marketing company. I bounced around a lot from you know my my business degree to uh, where I finally settled for the longest job I've ever had, which was about three years. Believe it or not, that's that's the longest I've ever had working for someone. Uh, but I started my own company in college, the restaurant delivery service business. I, I've always had that in self-employment bug, that entrepreneurial bug. Um, but I worked for a company in 1994. I took a job taking inbound sales for a direct marketing company in Portland, Maine, uh, selling um, Kevin Trudeau's mega memory program. I think he actually lives in Australia now. Um, 
but that company, I was, I was the 34th employee at that company in January of 1997. And when I left in September, I'm sorry, January 1994. When I left in January 1997, the company had over a thousand employees. And so it was rapid growth, crazy fun, a lot of young folks, late, uh, mid to late 20s in, in Portland, Maine. And um, at one point, I, I, I went through one of the programs. It was a digestive health program, a product that we were selling, and, and I used it. And I remember walking into work one day feeling fantastic. I'm like, I have no right to feel this good. I'm 29 years old. I'm single. I'm going out and drinking every night after work. And I feel fantastic. And I said to myself, if I ever leave this company, I'm going to go ahead and, and, and market a product like this. And in 1997, I left the company to start my own radio direct response media buying agency. So... Anytime there was an ad on radio that had an 800 number, which is the way they were always done back in 1997, um, I would buy time for companies like that. I had one client to start with, and um, I told my son this story the other day. My goal was to make $50,000 the first year in 1998, and uh, I made about 10 times that. Wow. Luck hard work, right place, right time, and never burning bridges. It's something my wife, my current wife, my, my only wife, she was my girlfriend back then, told me, um, talked about not burning bridges. And somebody called me that I had a relationship with at the previous company. He had left as well. We were never on great terms. We were social. Um, and he called me and, and, and said, look, we're, we're doing this thing and we want you guys to buy the time. And, and I said, all right, that's great. Let's try it. Let's do it. And it just took off like a rocket. And from there, it, it just kept going. And it's been, it was a fun ride. It was a fun ride to say the least. That's my story. Yeah. I love awesome. it. Yeah. And so, and even though you had a lot of success, but it changed over the years. So you mentioned you, um, before you sold the business in around 2010, um, the way you, so yeah, tell us what happened with that business and uh, the journey you took and what, why you made the changes that you made and, and eventually why you sold it in 2010. Sure. I, I, again, I feel like you've been listening to my family conversations with these questions because I was talking to my kids this morning over, actually it was last night. We're, we're reading a book called the one thing we read 10 to 12 pages every night at dinner. And I've made investments over the years where I've, I, I can count three investments that I've made as an entrepreneur. Well, I guess one would be a house, but we've always looked at them as investments where we've, we've, we've lost huge numbers, you know, like two, $300,000. So as an entrepreneur, you always, you're going to have those, the, those hits and those home runs, those singles, those doubles, those triples, and you're going to have the losses as well. That's just, part of the process. The numbers may be smaller, they may be bigger, but it's part of the process. Being at it for 20 years, I've had those really great successes and I've had those really awful losses. I hope that those awful losses are behind me. I can't promise that. My mother-in-law who's 75 years old says, son-in-law, you know, you never stop learning, you never stop making mistakes. I hope she's 
wrong about the big mistakes because hopefully I've got enough experience and I'm wise enough where we're not going to make those big mistakes anymore. Mm. Part of the process is being an entrepreneur. Yeah. And for the benefit of everyone that's listening and because it, you know, everyone's going to make mistakes in the journey. If you want to be uh, successful, you, you're going to have to make mistakes. So what uh, Joe was some of the lessons you learned from the mistakes that you made? Listening to others. You've got to listen to others. When I uh, sold my online business, I was emotionally tired. It's why most entrepreneurs sell. And it's the wrong time to sell. You know, you want to sell when things are good, not when you're exhausted, emotionally tired, and ready to move on. Um, when I sold mine, I went back to running my media buying agency for a year, then realized why I stopped. I didn't like it. I was on the hunt for a new business. I wanted to buy something. I loved the sales process, but I'm just going to buy something. So I found something that really seemed amazing, almost too good to be true. And so I reached out to Jason Yellowitz, who was my advisor when I sold my company through Quietly. And I said, Jason, look at this. Isn't this fantastic? What do you think? He said, Joe, don't do it. I'm like, why? He's like, it's a young company doesn't have many organic rankings, it shot to the top, and it seems too good to be true. I said, yeah, you don't know what you're talking about. I lost $220,000 on that investment. Mm. I should have listened to Jason. He'd been through it. He'd had experience that I hadn't had, and um, I was too emotional about it. Mm. Anytime I've had those significant losses in my life financially, it was because I made an emotional decision versus a logical one so i wanted it so bad i didn't listen to those that i sought advice from and jason was one of those I asked for the advice he gave it i ignored it i lost over two hundred thousand dollars yeah and you, you, it's interesting joe because uh, a few things i found interesting one of them was this is after you've built up over years and sold a very successful business you made that mistake so you know, we, we should never rest on our laurels sort of thing, you know, always need to be diligent. Uh, but that's uh, interesting too about the emotional decisions because I was just talking to someone today about a decision to purchase a car. They really wanted to purchase this car. It was a used vehicle and they got a professional to go and look at, at the car. And the professional said, basically, look, I don't, you know, like there's some serious things I've seen with this car. I can't, they had to really pull apart the engine to be hundred percent sure, but they said, you know, for, but because that person already made that decision emotionally that they wanted it, they went and bought it, you know, we know the rest of the story. So uh, some great lessons definitely to be learned there. So tell us, tell us about uh, quite a lot brokerage. You, what you do there is you help, people that are that have businesses they want to sell businesses yeah 100 percent online businesses we don't work with any brick and mortar businesses it's just online businesses and you know when i was trying to find a, a website business broker because that's technically what we are when i was selling my business i called uh everybody that was claiming to be a web website business broker and i emailed and uh Unfortunately, half of them didn't call me back. And, and I remember I had a total of three phone calls. Two of them 
felt like they were just reaching through the phone to try to get their hooks into me for a commission. And then I talked to Mark Doust, who's the founder of Quiet Light Brokerage. Mark looked at my financials and said, Joe, this is, this is great. You're doing well. Things are turning around after the Great Recession, because this was 2010. Remember, spring of 2010 when I first started uh, considering this. And uh, he said, your numbers are climbing again after the, the recession. What I'd suggest you do is hold on another six months. And then, you know, you've got some weaker months. Your months 9, 10, 11, 12, a little bit weaker. Your, your most recent months are stronger. If you wait another six months, you're probably going to make another $100,000 or so. So why don't you go away and come back in another six months and you'll, 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 you'll have a bigger, a bigger value. He's the only one that told me to go away. He gave me advice that was in my best interest. And I thought, well, this is, this is great. I'm going to stick with this guy and this company. Uh, and, and, and everybody here does that. I, I think the key difference between us and, and anyone else is we're first and foremost here to help. Um, each one of us have built, each one of us bought and sold our own online businesses. Um, Jason, who has been with us the longest, had, Mark sold Jason's business for him. Mm-hmm. Jason sold my business. I sold Darren's business. And then we have Brian, who started a competing uh, company, uh, sold it, went to work for somebody else, helped them on a con- contractual basis, eventually came to us. And we have a guy named Chuck that's starting soon who's been an entrepreneur his whole life and has built, bought, and sold other companies and has been a friend of Quiet Light for years. So uh, that, that's who we are. What we do is simply help people understand uh, the value of their businesses. Most of our calls are valuation slash planning calls. Help people understand that what they do have is a saleable asset and how to make it more valuable if and when they decide to sell. Um, I've got a, a, a listing now from some folks down in Australia, and they're the classic classic example. We we um, they came to me from a referral. It's one individual. I shouldn't say we. They came to me uh, on a referral from some other folks down in New Zealand. I sold their business spring of two thousand sixteen. Uh, and this other client came to me, uh, summer of 2016 and said, Hey, look, I got this business. It's about 15 months old. Um, so-and-so referred me to you and I, I, I'd like to sell it at some point. What do I do? And I said, well, the ideal time is to wait at least 24 months, uh, before we list a business for sale. And so we talked about what makes a business more valuable and those things, transferability of the business, good, clean documentation, selling it when it's growing still and there's still plenty of runway for future growth and so on and so forth. He came back at 18 months and was ready to sell. We did the numbers and then he said, oh, you know what? You're right. Let's hold off. He waited another six months because his growth was so, so rapid that if we had listed it last November for sale, uh, really in October, it was going to list at about 1.7 million. He came back to me about a month ago and the same, well, a little bit higher multiple because of uh, recent sales pushed the value, the multiple up. But, but his business is worth $2.7 million now. Mm-hmm. Huge difference. He waited almost six months, extra million dollars. It's the right thing to do. So that, that's, that's kind of what we do. Yeah. And it, it's a lot of people are starting online businesses. Um, but I don't think a lot of people 
and I've definitely made this mistake over the years, so I'm not pointing fingers at anyone else, is that we don't, we don't begin the business in the mind of selling it, which I think is a big mistake. Because if you plan it really well, you can uh, do, do extremely well like these kind of numbers that you're talking about. But what, when, if you were right now, Joe, with all the experience you have, you know, starting selling your own business, helping other people sell businesses, if you had to start your own business right now in the mind to sell it, what kind of things would you put in place to make that business valuable when you did sell it? Well, I'm doing it now. So I'll give you an example. My wife has developed a patent pending uh, bedwetting product. So it's, you know, I think it made $85 last year, but it's doing about $3,000 this month on Amazon and it's growing. So um, first and foremost, test it, see if it works, see if there's any traction. I would set up a separate corporation, separate LLC, which we've done good, clean financial which we've done, meaning using QuickBooks or Zero or something like that, separating that business from any other businesses that you have, any other personal things that you have. That's called commingling and buyers don't like that. If you commingle and you, you sell the business, buyers are privy to looking at your bank statements in every single account, every single transaction that you have in there. Clean financials help sell businesses for a higher value. You may pay. 25 to $50 a month for zero or QuickBooks online. It, believe me, it's worth it. You'll get that, you know, a hundred times back. Um, setting up the financials, good record keeping, um, and just being patient and slow and trending. Don't cheat to get the numbers higher. Don't do any black hat techniques. If there are such things that you can do uh, with, with Google now um, or with Amazon now, uh, multiple streams of income, I think, are the key. What we're doing, other than the clean documentation, separate account, separate bank account, corporation, is uh, starting off with the low-hanging fruit, in my opinion, which is an Amazon account. We've got a Shopify store set up, and we'll eventually uh, start driving traffic to the Shopify store and doing paid advertising. And then we'll look at other avenues, daily deal sites, wholesale, things of that nature. So what we'll have is multiple streams of revenue. One stream of revenue, by way of example, the listing of, of, one, of your, one of your neighbors down there in Australia is 100% Amazon right now. We talked six months ago about doing multiple streams. But a business that is 100% one source that might be you know, doing, uh, you know, let's say, $100,000 a year in revenue, and then I've got another business that is also doing $100,000 a year in revenue. But it, uh, that $100,000 comes from four different revenue streams, meaning Amazon, your own URL, paid advertising, and let's say daily deal sites. That business on the right, your left, is worth probably 15 to 20% more than the one that only has one source of revenue. So long term, I would look at the multiple streams of revenue as well. If you've got a business that's growing like crazy though, I mean, the reality is you're just trying to keep your head above water, right? You're just trying to take that money that's coming in and buy more inventory and stay on top of it and make sure you don't run out if it's an e-commerce business. If it's a SaaS business, same thing. Try to, try to work on um, good data. Use bare metrics. Another business that I sold already this year was uh, some guys that had great SaaS business, guys from Australia. I don't know what it is with me in Australia, but... <laughs> 
great SaaS business. They subscribed to bare metrics. They knew what their, what their recurring revenue was on a monthly basis. They knew what their stick rate was. They knew what, you know, all the proper statistics are. And they had me as a user and I could just pull that information down. And when you go to sell your business, having that information, whether it's percentage of customers that are B2B versus B2C, whether it's, you know, what's your churn rate on a SaaS business or recurring revenue percentage. When your broker asks those questions, when you have that information readily at hand, it instills confidence in the buyer who is going to stroke a check for $100,000, $500,000, million. It's their life savings that they're putting on the line. And they may only get one chance to do it. So they, they're more willing to do it, and they're willing to do it at a higher value for your business, meaning a higher multiple of your discretionary earnings, which we'll probably talk about, if you have good data and good documentation. Mm. That's yeah. the key. Yeah, awesome. You're awesome. Thank you so much for that. And and one one of the things that came to my mind as you were talking, Joe, was who are these buyers? Uh, you know, are there buyers for business that these businesses that are selling for you know half a million, millions of dollars? Um, do do you? How long does it take someone that's selling their business to to get a buyer to buy it? Sure. There there's a buyer out there for almost every business that exists in my opinion. I got an email this morning. We were at the Prosper show out in Las Vegas last week, which is all about Amazon. I got an email from somebody this morning. and said, Joe, great meeting you. I'm looking for an Amazon business that, you know, is going to be roughly $25,000 wants to buy a business for 25,000. And, you know, we've sold business three or $4 million as well. 25 is probably too small for us because of the broker fees involved. Uh, So that'll be just, Hey, look, if I find somebody, I'll just refer them to you. Who the buyers are, though, could be anyone. I've sold uh, businesses to people that have a group of folks that pooled their money, and it's a working capital group, and you know they're investors, and they're building a portfolio of online businesses. I've sold to uh, corporate people that are tired of the rat race, rolling over their 401k, or they've saved up money over the years and want to buy a business, and, you know, like you work from home and jeans and a t-shirt and have your own flexible hours. Um, moms or dads that have been stay at home moms or dads, they're going back to work after the kids are, 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 are older uh, folks that have just sold a business and are buying another um, you, you name it. It's, it's been anybody across the spectrum, really buyers are out there and there's a crazy amount of money out there too. It's, it's, um, I've seen the proof of funds, the biggest one I've ever seen for a, it was a million dollar business. And he showed me proof of funds and his, the trust fund that, that he had was $102 million, $102 million. Shocking. There's plenty of money out there. I had somebody asked me at the Prosper show, I said, Joe, I've got this business that, you know, it's, it's, I think it was, forget if it's 2 million or 200 million, but he said, I keep thinking maybe I should have 10 smaller businesses instead of one giant business because I'm more likely to sell them. I said, no, that's not the case at all. You'd be working 10 times as hard because you could have a business that's producing a hundred thousand in revenue and one that's producing a million dollars in revenue. The workload's 
probably the same. Actually, the workload on the bigger ones might be smaller, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, but there's buyers out there for both, for both. There's absolutely buyers out there for both. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the way someone put it to me once, Joe, was that, you know, why people that have money, they want to buy a business because who wants to go through the headaches of starting a business? It's like building a house or something. Would you rather go and learn how to build a house and build a house? Or would you rather just go and buy one if you, if it was going to cost you the, the same, of course you'd go and buy one rather than, learning all those skills to build a house and the time and the frustration. So yeah, it makes a lot of sense buying, buying a business and why people would want to do that. Um, you, you mentioned something earlier about some metrics and you said we might talk about that. What, what was that you're referring to? Uh, a nauseating word called seller's discretionary earnings. So it's all about the value of a business and how you determine what the value is. That's the biggest question that buyers ask is, what's my business worth, right? So it starts with that clean documentation. So number one, Excel is not accounting software. For those that are watching this, listening to this, I cannot say that enough, I should trademark it, Excel is not accounting software. Do you use Excel, don't tell me. I, I did in the past too, all right? When I launched my first business, I used Excel, I didn't know any better. I'm guilty, um, I'm guilty of using it, so. Right. <laughs> You're human is what, what you are. Congratulations, just like, just like the rest of us. I've done it as well. But, you know, when you use QuickBooks or Zero, you run a profit and loss statement, you get a bottom line number that says net income, right? Okay. So within your expenses are your own salary, probably your car, probably your meals and entertainment, some personal travel that you wrote off some events or conferences that you went to that may or may not be related to the business. It was kind of a perk for you. You stayed an extra five days in Vegas, for instance. Those are, those are owner benefits. So you take that net income number on the bottom and you create an add back schedule. You add back the owner benefits, your payroll, your car, things of that nature. And you take the total add backs plus the net income that's called the seller's discretionary earnings. The way web-based businesses are valued is off a multiple of the trailing 12 months seller's discretionary earnings. Okay, mm -hmm. so, you know, let's say you've got a business that is growing steadily but not crazily year over year, five, 10% year over year, it's three years old, it's easily transferable, good growth opportunities, uh, not a crazy workload. That business might be worth two and a half to three and a half times the trailing 12 months seller's discretionary earnings. That's the hardest number to get to. A lot of people can make mistakes with it. They don't really focus on it. If you don't get that right early on, meaning right away uh, during the valuation process, and you go down the road of listing the business for sale, getting under contract and getting into due diligence, in due diligence, it can fall apart or get renegotiated because the number was wrong because it's all based on that. So if it's $100,000, it's a three-time multiple, the business is worth $300,000. And if you know, you're not producing 100,000 in discretionary earnings, it turns out to be 90,000 discovered in due diligence because you underinflated the cost of inventory or whatever it might be, then three times, that missing 10,000 is 30,000 that comes off the, the value of the business. Now, if you have an e-commerce business, 
it's that plus the cost of good saleable inventory on hand at the time of closing. If it's a SaaS business or a content business or an affiliate business, that's not an issue. It's three times that number. Um, inventory is always sold separately and should always be sold at uh, the landed cost of goods sold. So if you're shipping it from China uh, into Amazon FBA, for instance, you're in PL, it's, it's whatever cost to get it there. And it's got to be good saleable inventory. It's always listed separately because it changes every day, right? This morning, you might have had $20,000 worth of inventory. Tomorrow, you might have $19,500 worth of inventory. So it's always best when it's listed for sale. It's the asset value of the business plus the cost of good saleable inventory on hand at the time of closing when it's, when it's an e-commerce business. Yeah. And the multiples you mentioned, uh, you mentioned a multiple of two and a half, three. Is it always the same? And if not, what, what will affect the multiple? So, for example, is it the, the growth percentage? Is it because there's recurring billing in the business? Yep, good question. No, it's not always the same. There's no, generally you're going to fall in this range because every business is different. The highest multiple I've ever sold was a 6.8. And then I've sold them well below two times. I did a valuation for someone uh, yesterday. She's got an e-commerce site. It's eight years old. Uh, revenue's down 40% year over year, last two years. It's kind of a struggle, you know? We know why. She's in a great niche. She owns her own brands. It's a beautiful product line. It's in a really exciting category. Uh, she's never done anything significant on any third-party platforms like Amazon. So right away, that's a growth opportunity. you got to logically figure out why trends are down. A buyer's going to look at it and say, well, if it continues, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. So in her situation, she's being pushed down to, you know, the two-time multiple, plus or minus, because of the, the really, really tragic downward trends. Fortunately, her last two months have held steady when looking at the same months in the prior year. So we can say, yeah, she had a rough patch, but things have leveled out. So, you know, looking at those numbers. Um, if a business is growing 25% year over year, has recurring revenues, uh, B2B revenue, B2B, uh, B2C revenue. Buyers love B2B revenue, by the way, because it's an easier customer, a higher average ticket. They don't complain. They don't return the products. They love B2B or if it's a SaaS business. Um, recurring revenue model. That, that particular business, if that was an e-commerce business with 25% year, year growth, some recurring revenues, you could push that multiple higher, maybe to the four, four time end. And you could say, look, logically, and this is important because buyers are emotional. They're spending their money, right? I gave you an example where I lost $200,000 because I got emotional. If they can get their emotions in check, not like me at that time, they'll look at this and say, I'm, I'm understanding your logic with the math if you push the multiple too high. So if you have a four-time multiple, it's growing 25% year over year growth, multiple revenue streams. If, they, if the buyer buys the business and maintains the same 25% year-over-year growth, they make their money back in 2.7 years. So you got to kind of do the math for them. If you push the multiple too high, 
buyers won't even look at it, they won't engage. So you've got to get it just right, push it high enough so that the real value is there, but not so high that they don't engage and don't dig into the, the deeper details of the business. So it, it's kind of all across the board, softwares and service businesses, I'll tell you, will list higher. The one I just sold from, again, some neighbors of yours uh, literally last month, it, it was listed at about a four time multiple and had two offers very quickly and it, it sold very, very close to that. About 14% year over year growth, incredibly low workload and plenty of runway for growth. So. Yeah, fantastic. Look, I, you, the, everything you share with us today has been so valuable, Joe. I really, really, really appreciate it. Um, we sort of come to the end of our time. Is there anything that we haven't covered yet you feel is really important or any final thoughts that you had, Joe? before we end this interview? Yeah, honestly, it's, it's complicated, it's complex, it's you know, multifaceted trying to understand the value of the business when we can only cover so much in a call like this because there's so many different variables. I didn't know any of this when I sold my business in 2010. I asked a ton of stupid questions and, and Jason answered them because he was my broker at the time. I talked to Mark first, but Jason ended up being my broker. You don't have to know everything going in when you talk to somebody. It's a great idea to have these conversations and understand it as part of being, you know, a business owner and entrepreneur, because someday you may want to sell your business, whether you, you think you do or not. Now life kind of changes. You may, get older, you may get bored, you may want to move on to your next adventure, you may, partnerships may, may not work out. You want to kind of have all your ducks in a row, just in case. Someday you, you may never sell, you just pass it on to your kids and that's okay too. But I, I think it, the most important thing I can say is, don't just ignore everything. Don't say you're never going to sell it. Run your business as if you're going to sell it someday. Know what the value of it is, understand the valuation process, just in case someday that day comes, you want to be prepared and you would have already done the work over the last three years versus catching up. Really, really important. Yeah, great advice. Look, everything you shared today, again, Joe, has been so valuable. I really appreciate you being with us today and sharing all these insights. And, and so, again, for everyone that's listening or watching, we've been listening to Joe Valley of Quiet Light Brokerage. And if you want to get in contact with Joe or Quiet Light Brokerage, you can go to Quiet Light Brokerage dot com um any other it any other contact details or any other way you'd like them to contact you joe that's it just go to the website it's the first approach uh, take a look at some of the listings inquire on them learn the process learn what other buyers and sellers are saying that make the businesses valuable um make it part of your education over the years of being an entrepreneur that's the key i think yeah, great Great. Thanks again, Joe. Really appreciate you being with us today. And I want to thank everyone as well for being here and watching this interview. Glad to be here. Thank you. Hey, John Legadakis here. If you got something out of today's podcast episode, make sure to subscribe to the podcast as each week I'm doing more of these valuable interviews. Also, share it with your friends. Now, if you want to get in contact with me, you can do so anytime through my website, johnlegadakis.com. There's also a lot of great free resources there to help you to get more traffic and leads for your business. This is John Legadakis signing off. I'll see you all next time.